we do thank God for his faithfulness to our church over all of these years, and, and we're going to be talking about that just a bit today. Um, before we get into anything else, why don't we read God's Word? We'll be in Psalm 119 this morning, verses 89 through 96. Since today is a day where we are celebrating our history um, as a church, I want to read something that came from, I found in the church history room and that I found just interesting. This is a little booklet written by the son of Pastor J.C. Sorrells. And I say a book, it's an account. Um, this, the youngest son of Reverend J.C. Sorrells, who is the founding pastor of this church. And uh, here's what he says. This is a small snippet, but this is good reading if you ever want to go and just see some of what the church was like in the first years. Those old-timers took their religion seriously and had no use for a preacher who couldn't talk for at least two hours. (laughs) So in the spirit of our founding pastor and the first generation, uh, buckle up and we'll keep the food warm. No, (laughs) I kid, I kid. We will not be here um, that long today. We will not be here that long today. Before we read, I want you to think about something for for a moment. As we go through life, we we have things, items, maybe relationships that we accumulate. And over time, the longer that we're with some item or some person, the less likely we are to get rid of it, right? Is that right? The longer you're in a relationship, maybe a dating relationship, the, the harder it is to break up, right? When you're two or three years into that, that's a lot easier, or that's a lot more difficult to break up than just a couple weeks in. Whenever an item gets old and worn out, it, it's sometimes easy to just chunk it. But then some things, if you're with it for a long enough time, you say, I'd never, I'd never want to be done with this, right? A relationship, you get married, and you're married for years and years and 40 years, and you would say, I could never even possibly think of divorce, hopefully, right? Let's even say a car, for instance. It's interesting because you have a car and and after a while the car gets older and older and older and you think for a while, man, this car is so old, I don't know if I want to keep it. But then after a certain point, what does it turn into? A classic, right? A classic. And you're like, I can't get rid of this thing. This thing is sweet, right? Whatever it is, think about in your mind that car that you had and you, you got rid of it after you graduated high school or after maybe the car you got when you first had your license and you got rid of it and you said, man, if I just had that car now, that thing would be a classic, right? The longer we're with something, the less likely we are um, to want to get rid of it. We want to stay faithful. We're not going to abandon that thing. We're not going to abandon that relationship. We're going to see this morning that God is faithful to us and he will not bring us this far as a church to abandon us now. Let's read Psalm, 80, or Psalm 119, starting 89. Lord, your word is forever. It is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth, and it stands firm. Your judgments stand firm today, for all things are your servants. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, For you have given me life through them. I am yours. Save me. For I have studied your precepts. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection. 
but your command is without limit. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word, we ask for your blessing. Lord, we know that this word is only something academic unless your Holy Spirit comes to illuminate it to us, to show us the need to apply it to our hearts. So, Father, would you do that this morning in these few short minutes that we have? Bring your Holy Spirit, Lord. May he illuminate these scriptures to us to take them from our heads to our hearts. May I speak only what is your word and, then, uh, and what is aligned with your word, not any opinion of mine, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning, if you want to write it down, is this. And I'll give it to you twice. It's a little wordy because sometimes I, I try to shave these down as much as I can, but sometimes it's just hard to. It's this. God is faithful to keep his people And he calls us to delight in keeping his faithful word. I told you it was wordy, right? I'll tell you again. God is faithful to keep his people, and he calls us to delight in keeping his faithful word. As we see the psalmist here, and if you know anything about Psalm 119, this is a psalm that is all about the word of God. And so the question is, well, why a sermon on the word of God on homecoming? I hope that will be clear in just a minute, because the psalmist here is talking to us all about how God through his word, is faithful. The whole idea leading up to Psalm 119 is God and his word and look how far he has brought us. And then if you look at verses 81 through 88, the last little section there before our our text for the day, it's talking about this fact that my enemies have come against me. right? They've dug pits for me. They violate your instructions. They persecute me with lies. They almost ended my life. Give me life in accordance with your faithful love, and I will obey the decrees that you have spoken. The idea is this. Up until this point, the question really has been, God, have you brought me this far only to abandon me? Did we get here to the top of the hill, and then you're just going to go before we go over, before we go across? Maybe for you, this is a question you're asking right now in the middle of your life. Whatever it is that you're in the middle of, you feel like, God, you've brought me so far, but I feel like right now, I don't know if you're going to get me through it. Or maybe as a church, you're considering that for our church, and you say, God, what's your plan? What's your purpose? What are you doing with our church? Lord, we've been around for 129 years. Have you brought us this far to let things fall apart? Our church has been through a lot in 129 years. Our church has had five locations. That's a lot of moving, right? It's had five locations, and the third church, we went to our fourth location because the third church burnt down. We've had 16 pastors in 129 years. And we know that every time there is a transition like that, there's going to be some, uh, some kind of turbulence. It's just what's coming next. There's been times where we have been, uh, had debts. There's times when we've had controversies and had to recover from those. There's been times where people in the church have been sick and gone through uh, all kinds of procedures and tests. And is this person going to pull through? And whatever it is, I may have missed something. But you think through what all this church has been through in 129 years, and you think about it. But here we are today. Here we are today. God has been faithful. 
He has not brought us this far to 2019 to just abandon us. Because that's not what our God does. Amen? Our God doesn't abandon his people when they find themselves in trouble. He promises to be faithful. And that's what the psalmist is saying in these first three verses of this section. Lord, your word is forever. It's firmly fixed in heaven. It says you've given a word, you've said you're going to do something. It's fixed in the heavens. It's beyond just what's here on this earth. Your faithfulness, it is for all generations. God doesn't promise to be faithful to one generation of his people and to the next one he's just going to give up on us, right? God has been faithful to every single generation of this church. 91, he says, your judgments, they stand firm today, and all things are your servants. In other words, listen, what God has said, he's going to do. What he has decided will happen. And there is not one rogue molecule in all of creation, because all things are his servants. All things do what he has called them to do. He promises to be faithful. When we look at the Bible, we see that when he, makes a, when he makes a vow, he makes an oath, when he makes a covenant, he doesn't swear by something that's passing away and eternal, right? Because the idea is that they would, when you would, when you'd make an oath, you would swear on something, and the more important it is, the more sure your oath was. God only ever made an oath on his own name, because he is eternal, because he is forever. When God made a covenant with Abraham, if you remember, it's almost a very strange scene if you haven't any research into it. God tells Abraham to get all these animals and to cut them in half, and they're going to have some kind of ceremony. But then Abraham falls asleep. And in what really feels like a strange scene, but the original audience would not have thought it strange at all, this burning pot of fire comes and it goes through in between those two halves of the animals. What God was doing there, he's saying, I've made a promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation, to bless the entire world through him. But God knows that the only person who can keep that covenant is him, not Abraham, not any human. The only one who will keep a covenant faithfully and eternally is God. So that pot of fire comes and it is a symbol of God walking through and essentially saying, if I break my covenant, may I be cut in two like these animals that I'm walking between. Our God is faithful. He's been faithful to us. And we as a church, if you remember how we were talked about so often, God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are talked about as God's bride, his wife, this one that he has made a vow to, that I will stick with you forever. In light of that promise, we see verse 92. So we have God's promise in verses 89 through 91. Then in 92, we see what kind of feels like a condition. So here's what he says. If your instructions had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. The psalmist understands something. That as the weight of whatever it was that he was going through pressed down on him, he found hope and delighting in God's word. Whatever it was, uh, this trouble that was pressing down, it wasn't his grit, it wasn't his determination that kept him going. It was the delight in the word of God. The question for you, church, is this. Do we as a church 
delight in God's Word. I know I talk about God's Word a lot. And that kind of comes to the territory, right? There's people who actually talk about folks who get so wrapped up in God's Word, and they're like, well, you're just worshiping this book instead of God. We have to understand something. This is what God has revealed. This is what He has given us. He has chosen this to say, this is how I'm speaking to my people. Do we delight in the Word of God? See, delighting in something is maybe something you've not felt in a long time. Delight in anything. right? To, to be delighted in something means that you are finding joy in that thing. Pleasure in that thing. You look at that thing and say, this is my pleasure, right? When I think about somebody talking about my pleasure, um, it's kind of a, a wild thing to think that I, I, I'm pleased to do this. I find joy in it. Because if you've ever been to Chick-fil-A, right, which you couldn't do today because it's closed on Sunday, um, which is good, but it's also bad because you can't have it on Sunday, and that's always the day that you want Chick-fil-A. Amen? Amen. And so you go and you want to have the Lord's chicken and... You want to have the Lord's chicken, and you go up there, and you say, hey, can I have some Chick-fil-A sauce or some sriracha sauce, whatever it is? And they say, sure. And you say, oh, thank you. And what do they say? My pleasure. It's different, right? You don't get a thank you, or you don't get a you're welcome, right? You get a my pleasure. And you hear them say my pleasure, though, and it's one of those things where no matter how good Chick-fil-A is, and their employees are usually pretty awesome, I think to myself every time they say that, is it really their pleasure? Are you actually pleased to give me this Chick-fil-A sauce? Or did I like bother you because you were mopping? Like, you know. <laughs> but you wonder that. And I wonder that about Christians today because for a lot of us, we can talk a good talk about saying it's my pleasure. It is my delight to be in God's Word. But then the way that we deal with God's Word and interact with God's Word doesn't show that. Church, we will die in our affliction. Any affliction that comes upon this church, we will die, like the psalmist says, if we don't make our delight, our pleasure, our joy, God's revealed word. If we don't look to and say, what does his word have to say about every single thing that we come up against as a church? How do you speak to it? God has given us all that we need for life and godliness in his word. We have to ask this about things like, how do we worship? So what does God's Word say about how we worship? How we go about picking music? How we do an order of service? How we take part in the Lord's Supper or baptism? The question always should be, is it aligned with the Word of God? Is how we operate aligned with God's Word? The polity that we have, the way that we select leaders, the way that we make decisions? Is the way that we look at missions and our mission to make disciples, is it connected and in line with God's Word? If we're going to delight in God's Word, we're going to do what it says. At the end of this day, this comes down to an issue of what we would call, the big word is sufficiency. Is God's Word sufficient? The Southern Baptist Convention and all kinds of folks, all kinds of Christians, went through this battle of the question of, is God's Word inerrant? It's been the fight for 40, 40 years now, and more, longer than that, honestly, 150, but it came to a head 40 years ago. And we lock into inerrancy. We say, God's word is true and it's right. But then we leave off this idea called sufficiency. 
the idea that God's word is absolutely sufficient to tell us what we need to do in any moment, in any situation, in our life and in the life of our church. Is it sufficient? And the answer is a resounding yes. The psalmist understands that. He sees that God's word is sufficient for him, and we can see that it's sufficient for us as he talks about God's precepts. Here's what he says. He gives us this idea in 93 through 96 that he actually gets salvation through the delight of God's word, through God's commands, through God's precepts. And precept is just a a fancy word of saying it's his rule, God's rule that he intends for us to conform our actions to. His precept says, this is how you're supposed to do this. The author is saying here is, he says, I am yours, save me, for I've studied your precepts. The wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. They're saying that they're putting their trust in God's word to work out their situation. They are aiming to know it. Hear those words there. In 93, 94, 95. I will never forget your precepts, your rules. I have studied your precepts. I contemplate your decrees. God saves us from our circumstances by us doing what he tells us to do. Isn't that interesting? Because he doesn't say that my salvation is in me just being like, throwing up my hands and saying, well, whatever happens, happens, Lord. Some of us need to do that because we work so hard to do things in our own power, and we need to step back and let him do it. But in another sense, God says, listen, you don't need to throw up your hands. You need to do what I've told you to do. I've told you right here, this is what you do. This psalmist finds their salvation in having studied his precepts and having contemplated his decrees. And not forgetting what God has said. He has perfect wisdom in the commands that he gives us. And it even says here that he saves when the wicked hope to destroy us. Verse 95, the wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. Church, there is a time coming. For so long in America, the church and the world weren't all that different. A lot of the values we had on the inside were a lot of the values, at least on the surface, that were there on the outside. But over time, those two, the church and the world, have gone further and further away here in America. The values are becoming more and more different. They should be becoming more and more different. Because the world is going and saying, God, I don't have any need for what you have to say. And for us, we should be standing firm. And so as the world moves away from God and we stand firm, the gap is growing wider. And there will be folks, there will be people who have no use for the church and would like to see nothing more than churches in America die and uh, go the way of toaster ovens when microwave ovens came along, right? To say, well, that's a relic of the past. People would love to see that happen. The wicked hope to destroy us. We have an enemy, Satan, who wants to destroy this church. He would love nothing more than for our gospel witness here in Pleasant Gardens and in Marion to be snuffed out. He would love nothing more than that. So how do we respond? The psalmist says that the wicked hope to destroy me, but I contemplate your decrees. Church, our way to respond to the enemy coming at us, hoping to destroy our church, is not to think up 
new strategies that make us look like the world and make people want to come in because uh, everything's fun and great and just like a movie or a Broadway show or whatever. Psalmist says, I contemplate God's decrees. I look at what he says whenever the wicked hope to destroy me, and God saves us through that. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer, you've never stopped and said, I understand that I'm a sinner who needs God's grace, and that Christ is my only hope. I want you to understand something. Merely obeying Merely looking at God's word and saying, I'll do that and I'll do that and I'll do that. That is not your means of salvation in the sense that it is your means of being made right with God. That is what we call a works righteousness. And no one can do any kind of work to make yourself right with God. But he gives us his word, his commands, his precepts. And those are most fully obeyed in the command. Believe in Christ for your salvation. All of this book is about one story. It's not a bunch of stories in the Old Testament that maybe sort of connect to some stories in the New Testament about Jesus that we really focus on. This is one unified narrative that says there is a need to deal with your sin. And there is a Savior that's coming. And that Savior is Christ. Believe in what He did to help you to save you from your sin. Believe on Him for salvation. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you after the service and help you understand better what it means to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, the question is this. Are you contemplating God's Word? Are you studying God's Word? Are you delighting in His Word, not just for yourself, but for the good of this church? Our church will never rise above our love and delight of God's word. Because to delight in God's word is to delight in him. Are you praising God for being faithful to you and to his church? When you come in here, do you think only of the things that are bad? And I know some weeks that that's about all you can do. Things are hard. My hope is that you will praise God for being faithful to you. And then we will get together and we'll praise God for being faithful to his church. Are you trusting God to be faithful to you? Is your MO, is the way that you operate, where you're going through life and you say, I I just know that God's going to be good. I know that he's going to be faithful. He's been faithful to this church. He's faithful because we've aimed to be faithful to him, though. As the psalmist was faithful to his word, God is faithful to the psalmist. We know that as a church, we don't get everything right. That's just how it is, right? We're full of sinners, humans, We make it our aim to say, God, you've been faithful to your word, to your promise, and we're going to be faithful to your revealed word. Since God has absolutely been faithful to us, though, let's ask him to help us be faithful to him, to his word, and to his gospel. To not just exist, but to be taking the gospel to PG, to Marion, to McDowell County, to North Carolina, all the U.S. and to the ends of the earth for another 129 years and beyond. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You've been so good to us, God. As the psalmist says elsewhere, your steadfast love is better than life.
Therefore, my lips will praise you. May that be the case this morning. As we sing a song of response, may our lips praise you because your steadfast love is better than life. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.